it's liberating to know that you can survive grief, actually. Because I remember thinking, the day my dad dies, I will not be able to cope. How can I live if he's not here? That was always my thought, but I'm still here. Hi everyone, my name is Inharad George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard and confronted. are quite sensitive. Okay, so I've got to be careful of the pops. Yes, yeah. but they're not, not too, it's a bit right. annoying actually. I'll I was experimenting earlier. So you always have the, have the diamond Yeah, is that the best way? Always have the diamond facing your gob. Oh really? Yeah, but okay. I can still like, yeah, it's all good. Oh great. There you go. Right, yeah, okay, hang on. Oh, do some talking so I can see how much it's picking you up. Yep, one, two, one, two. For breakfast this morning, I had a halloumi, Bap thing from Leon, which I sort of regret. <laughs> Actually, no, it tasted really good, but I had, you know, I had basaba for lunch and it wasn't that good. I think they've gone a bit downhill. What's basaba? It's the Thai, like, takeaway. Well, not like, Thai takeaway, it's like the Thai version of Wagamama, basically. And it just wasn't that oh. great. Oh, wasabi. It was, no, basaba. Oh, basaba. Oh, yeah, but wasabi's gross. Yeah, basaba's gross, but it's, it's actually chef. disgusting. No, yeah, same. With the, with the teriyaki chicken? Yeah, same. Literally, oh, I was obsessed. <laughs> when I spoke at Kiss FM, I, I went for a phase of holding it for lunch every single day for about, yeah. about six months. The rice was so tasty. It was yeah. just so like sticky Fluffy and, and young. Yeah. Well, I went, I went back in there maybe for the first time in about three or four years, about a month ago, and it was absolutely disgusting. But I was so hungry, I was just like, and it was gross. Why I don't know if it's my palate's changed, but I just think, I think they just make things quicker and cheaper because they're everywhere now. Yeah. Do you remember when there's only a few of them? Yeah. Then they had, they had time to make the food like better. But yeah, now yeah. It's just... I remember university, I was in, in, at Sussex and I would literally pop to um, the one in Victoria. Yeah. It was like my treat of yeah. going back to uni. And I was, it was my heaven. It yeah. was sitting there with, with my teriyaki chicken. Yeah, man. My wasabi teriyaki chicken. I feel chicken. you. I feel you. <sighs> right. Here we go. Let's go. <laughs> In today's episode, I am speaking to Clara Ampho. Clara is a radio and TV broadcaster, best known for her work on BBC Radio One, where she's interviewed some of the world's most prolific artists, ranging from Jay-Z to Ariana Grande to Kendrick Lamar to Pharrell Williams. Pharrell Williams. <laughs> to name but a few. Clara's face is fast becoming as familiar to many as her voice, as her work as a TV broadcaster is only getting more and more exciting. Clara has not only hosted the ITV2 coverage of the Brit Awards for the past three years, but has also handed out the awards themselves for Best International Male Solo Artist and British Breakthrough Act. She is also a recurrent presence on the judging panel for the prestigious Mercury Music Prize. Just this year, Clara was asked to join the BAFTA TV Awards presenting team, covering the red carpet oh, like... Oh, technically not right. Oh, Because it? it was the second year I did it. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah, but it's okay. Oh, damn it's it. My research is wrong. It's all right, hon. <laughs> it's all good. 
For the past two years, Clara has joined the BAFTA TV Awards presenting team, covering the red carpet live and backstage winner interviews for the official BAFTA channels. Her natural aptitude for this was extended to the film world, hosting the European and world premieres for Elton John's Rocketman, Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> Is that right? You can say The Lion King because that one's more sexy. Yeah, oh, that's coming. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Marvel's box office breaking Black Panther and more recently, the Royal European premiere of Disney's The Lion King. On top of all of this, Clara is also joining the podcast posse with her podcast, This City with Clara Ampho, launching this very January 2020. Clara, welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you for coming on the podcast. Hello, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Oh, me too. Let's talk about our dad's Dads. problems, our daddy <laughs> issues. So... As I said to you off record, you, unlike most of my guests, lost your dad quite recently, only four years ago, and you had a really good relationship growing up with him. Yeah. Yeah. Which obviously, again, is slightly different to many of my guests. <laughs> but the reason why I wanted to get you on is firstly, you've been really vocal about your grief, but also... I want this podcast to be able to speak to as many people as possible with similar stories, similar experiences, and actually someone who's lost either their father or someone very precious to them in their late 20s and early 30s, you are a voice for them, and that is a different stage in someone's life, and that's really important to have that platformed as well. But also, speaking back to the podcast premise, is you also lost your dad just before the biggest step in your career. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Life, won't it oh, do it? Oh, God. <laughs> so... I can swear in here, can't I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just double check. Swear away. Right. So what I want is, what I usually do, is I like to go as much as I can in chronological order, just to give the listeners an essence of who you are, where you came from, everything like that. So take us back to your childhood, to your family, to your siblings, to your family dynamics, where you grew up. Cool. So... Um, I'm Ghanaian, both parents from Ghana, West Africa, the best country on the continent. Obviously, I'm biased, but Ghana's great. <laughs> My dad first came to the UK, I believe, in 1969, 1970 mm -hmm. to study. So my dad was a microbiologist and a parasitologist. Very, 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 very smart. Wow. Academic man. Um, and then my mum followed him after. Um, and I've got four brothers and one sister. Uh, my sister and I have got different mothers, but mm. my brother, my brothers and I all got the same mum. So when my parents first moved to the, when my dad first moved to the UK, he was living in South East London in Elton. And then I, oh, I can't remember how long it was uh, later. I'm just trying to remember all the stories he used to tell me. Yeah, yeah. They moved to Kingston, mm -hmm. which, is, which is where we were brought up. Cause I think he was just, I don't think he was having the best time uh, there. <laughs> what in Kingston? No, in in Elton. Based on what I know, and to be and to be honest, you know what what I assume based on my knowledge of that area at the time. If you mm -hmm. can imagine, you know, a young West African academic yeah. coming to live in an area which at the time, you know, notoriously wasn't very welcoming, you know, to yeah. to immigrants. He, I think he was a bit like, you know what, I'm just gonna. And that's not to say that Kingston was like a magic wand, but yeah. I think better choice for him just to be there. And yeah, I had. I think I'd, I'd like to say I had, I had a fairly happy childhood, mm. you know. I think my parents were really good at sort of, 
I always say sort of. My new thing for 2020 is choosing my words carefully and saying, because I like to, I say what I mean, but I try to, I'm just trying to use less words to just to say more. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't want to say sort of. Actually, funny enough, that's something my dad always used to say. If I would explain something, he'd be like, tell me about whatever. And I'd be like, so basically, and he'd be like, Clara, nothing in life is ever basic. That was the thing. <laughs> Nothing's basic. So true. Yeah. He'd be like, don't start your sentences with basically. He used to say, used to say that to us quite a bit, actually. Mm. Um, it's such a, it's a real bad habit of our generation, yeah. I think. Well, it's like us saying like, like, I say like all the time. Same. But like what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and basically should, should be used properly. But anyway, I digress. Yeah. Um, Their generation, it's, you know. Yeah, you know. You know, you know. I said, the thing is, I do say, you know. Yeah, I say, you know. <laughs> do you get what I mean? Basically. Like. Like. It's, yeah. Do you I'll, say Totally. I say absolutely. Oh, I say totally. I hate it. Absolutely is one of my favourite words. If I just, I just like how it rolls. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, what the, what the hell was I saying? Your childhood. Yeah. It was um, sort of Yeah, I, I think it was, I've had, I think I had a fairly happy childhood. You know, I think you have all your, uh, your usual sort of childhood traumas in the sense of, Enjoyed high school somewhat, but then there were people who I thought were dickheads. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, had awkward teen faces, being like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I feel so outside, X, Y, and Z. But, you know, generally speaking, I, th- I think I had a decent childhood. I think my parents really did try their, their very best just to kind of make sure that we had what we wanted. But I think the thing about my parents is that, you know, I think I had peers who had parents who would express love by getting them the latest trainers or getting them the games console they they always wanted. But with my with my mum and dad, I think their expression of love and their expression of just what it is to be, you know, a successful parent was about the essentials that they believe the child needs, especially with my dad, it was about academia. So, you know, academia. We'd get encyclopedias and stuff. Oh my God, I love that. Instead of a Game Boy. Yeah. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, we did, we did have that, we did have that stuff. But, but I'm trying to go back, to, I'm trying to scrap, like, rewind back to my childhood now. But I think, pretty sure my brothers, like, saved up for their own consoles. Mm-hmm. Or my dad may have gone hard with them. Yeah. Or whatever. But I'm pretty sure they, they saved up with, like, Saturday jobs or whatever. Um, but do you know what? Yeah. I mean, I don't know what your brothers do or what your sister does, yeah. but you, even before your dad passed away or yeah. died, some people hate saying passed away. I don't, died, <laughs> kicked I, the bucket. I used to always say passed away to try and soften it for the person I was talking to because yeah. people can find death really awkward. And I was speaking to a fellow dead dad club yeah. vibe and they were like, oh, I hate it when people say passed away. And I was like, oh, okay, so I'm, al- I'm, I'm allowed to say died and that's not offensive. I definitely use passed away in conversation I, I, without even thinking about it you adapt i think to who you're yeah. with yeah yeah i yeah i think so and i and also I, I think the the sentiment of it passing away i i think it depends on the kind of death as well and for me yes, i feel like my so dad true. died because it was sudden yeah. he died yeah you know it, you know it, it it wasn't like he had a terminal illness and we had to watch him sort of deteriorate because mm. for me that kind of connotes passing away but that's just my perception no uh, that is Do you know what i mean you though? literally hit the nail on the head yeah there. but yeah. my dad died man yeah yeah <laughs> right let's get to that yes <laughs> so growing up you had a good relationship with your dad mm. so tell us about that me and my dad were 
we are very similar in the sense that my mum, who is one of the, uh, I call her my most, she's like my problematic fave. <laughs> Your problematic fave? My problematic fave. I no, I love, that. no, I love my mum. My mum is, she's one of my most favourite people, but she's also one of my most, one of my most frustrated people. Like she does my fucking head in sometimes. <laughs> but no, but I love her fiercely. Yeah. But I think that's just a family thing. Like, it's that thing, isn't it? Over time, the roles switch mm. with parent and child mm. and you become the caregiver and the did you do this I've got to move you from A to B successfully X Y and Z and and I think that's a fair relationship at least once a week we'll catch up maybe like on a Sunday or if I'm in between meetings whatever mm. hi da, 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 da. but we're always on like what's that whether she's sending me bible verses that I didn't ask for <laughs> and I think yeah. I saw that on your Instagram oh yeah she's 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 I've got a whatsapp page <laughs> that, that for her and it's full of the messages that she sends me she doesn't know that it's a thing <laughs> that is actually it's so called good. at whatsapp mama if you want to follow it say on that Instagram. one more time whatsapp mama so <laughs> whatsapp and then m-a-m-a um, and it's just full of the comedy that she doesn't even realise she gives her chastising every outfit that I wear to every red carpet event I work at. Oh my god! So you had quite a religious upbringing. Uh, from her side, that's this is so this is the thing. So going back to my relationship with my dad, that's why we, I think, had a different kind of relationship. He was definitely my father, but we definitely have more of a friendship mm-hmm. than me and my mum in the sense that my dad wasn't a particularly religious man. He he observed, you know, religious holidays like Christmas, Easter, just about, and, you know, would go to any funeral going to, you know, pay respects to people because the, the culture of going to funerals and weddings in Ghana, it's a really serious deal. And I say serious in, in both senses of the word. When you die, it's not like they just turn it around within three days and you're buried in the ground, it's like, okay, peace out, see you later. It's a big old thing. Right. A, a proper funeral. goodbye. Oh yeah, it's a massive send off. Like the, the whole of your local area will get involved. You know, when we buried my father, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. No, no, don't worry. But when we, when we buried my dad, it actually happened two months after he passed away. So my dad passed away, see that, there you go, <laughs> died or whatever. Um, yeah, two, yeah, two months after he left us. No, because that sounds like he walked out and he, he really didn't. Um, yeah, he, he died in March and we buried him in May. And he died in Ghana, which I am really grateful for, actually. Mm-hmm. I'm really... I'm, yeah, dare I say... I'm, I'm going to dare say it because it's how I feel. I'm happy that he died in Ghana. Mm. I'm really happy that he did. It was just, I think, a, a nice conclusion to his life. Quite a cyclical thing, you know. He was born there. He was educated there. Has firm roots there. And the great thing about my dad is that even though he lived in the UK for, yeah, 40 years, over 40 years, he never, ever, ever lost his cultural identity. Mm. Never. And he enjoyed all the things that are typically British, but really they're quite universal things now I say that. You know, he would go to the pub, he would watch the football, he'd have, he'd have mm-hmm. a can of lager after a long day at work, although he had to stop drinking after he had his um, first stroke. Um, you know, he, How old was he then when he had his first his, stroke? Because he died when he was 72. So he had his first stroke... Yeah, three or four years prior. So let me say his first strike, like, yeah, 68, 69. Okay. And um, how did that come about? Um, 
he was he was working in his lab and he was stroking out for about, I think, 45 minutes until somebody found him. God. And I remember when I found this out, I just, I lost it. So I, I was working at Kiss FM at the time. And I think I got a text from my brother, one of my brothers, and they were just like, look, calm down, but dad's in hospital, he's had a stroke, he's in St. George's in Tooting, and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God. So I left work, and I remember going to the ward, and the whole side of his left face had collapsed because that's one of the symptoms of people who have strokes and it was in this bed like hooked up to all these wires and shit and all my brothers and my mum was there and I remember just the horror of seeing him like that was something that I've been dreading for a long time actually because I definitely went through a phase of being obsessed with his mortality really yeah I don't know what it was but I got it into my head and it became this it's kind of obsessive thought of just, oh, the day my dad dies, I won't be able to cope. Oh my God, is it today? Is it going to be today? And I don't know if it was because I just became aware of him getting older or I may have had a friend whose dad had died. I don't know what started it, mm. but I just became really aware of his being and his time left on earth. Yeah. And, you know, he'd go out for a long walk he used to like to go for walks and stuff, or he'd go to the shop or whatever. And if he was gone for maybe 10 minutes longer than the average time he'd go away, I'd be like, oh my God, he's like died. And I couldn't shake it. God, I wonder where this Yeah, I'm re- I really need to think about where that came from. Maybe and an instinct of some sort. Yeah, maybe. But the thing is, for the time that I had that thought, it never happened, then it happened years later. Mm. So yeah. did that thought then subside? You forgot about yeah, that. Yeah, forgot thought. about you it. You got over that anxiety. Yeah, I did. And then it happened. And then he had a stroke. And oh, and then, then he had the stroke. Then, then he had the stroke. And then he had to take time off work and just sort of rebuild himself because it made him incredibly uh made him incredibly slow mm-hmm. after. Not mentally, like, you know, his personality and everything was still intact, but physically his walking and his speech it was very much still him, but also just this other person. And it was just like, who is this old version of my dad? As in mm. literally old man. Because my dad was like very youth, youthful, you know, and he looked, he looked young for his age. Um, and he recovered from that stroke, like pretty miraculously. Like over the space of about a year or two, he kind of got back to functioning as normal. Like his speech got back to normal. Like he was walking fast enough. Like things took a little bit longer than usual, just mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But he, it was, he, I'd say he got like, let me say 85 to 90% recovered. Gosh, amazing. Yeah. And, and, and I think I always had that little kind of voice in my ear of like, okay, these could be the final years, but it definitely subsided right. to a point where I forgot about it again. Mm-hmm. And then when he died, I can't say I was completely surprised. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously finding out was one of the, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Actually, yeah, the worst day of my life. Yeah. The worst. This is a good point to say, take us to the 7th of March, 2015. Yeah. So the 7th of March, 2015, I was in Paris with a group of friends we were all there to the Paris half marathon. So basically, um, all of my mates used to run loads and they used to be part of this running club. And I was just really jealous of um, them all being in the running club because it was just really, 
it's just really fun outside of running. They had a really good social life around it. They would do, they'd always be like really fun parties after they ran races and they, they'd go to like Amsterdam to like run a half marathon and then go to a big old rave after and yeah, like yeah. go to Berlin, run the marathon <laughs> and go to rave. Because I remember actually I went to I went to go and cheer them all on in Berlin. We all rented out um like some sort of like Airbnb, cheered them on to run the race. And we went to this big ass party and like all the guys said it really hot and I was like, yeah. <laughs> um, but don't get me wrong, I do I genuinely do like to keep fit, but I thought, let me give this running thing a go one more time. But and I and I genuinely really got into it. Um and uh <laughs> also, no, but some of these guys in these running clubs, some of them are so penguin. Are they? Yeah, some of them are fit. I might join it. So I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. And, but it's but on a serious level, it's a great it's a great thing to do to keep fit. It's mm. a really social thing to do. Yeah, and sounds like there's a lot of like I can imagine it gets very teamwork. Yeah, and it, it makes you feel good, and it's like it's just good to clear your brain. Like it's something you can do all the time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I kind of I got into it from that. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do the Paris Half Marathon. Yeah, <laughs> and and so and I was so set on doing it. And I trained loads. I was really excited. We we all got the Eurostar there together and. It was just a really, it was really, really fun. So we had to go and pick up our bibs the day before the race. And and funny enough, and my dad was in Ghana at this time. And I remember that morning when I woke up, I felt compelled to ring him because I'm pretty sure I'd had a missed call from him or we'd been talking and we'd sort of been a bit like shits and night. Was, mm-hmm. We were sort of playing like phone tag with each other, like, oh, I'll call you back or... I text you. Mm-hmm. There was there was some sort of attempted conversation mm. that hadn't been picked up again when it in theory should have been. And I remember that morning thinking, oh, I've got a, I've got to ring him. He just, I can't. I don't know what. I just felt him mm. that morning in a really particular way. It wasn't a bad way, but it just said to me, make contact. I, I, that that's something I distinctly remember. So we go down to the train platform and I see all these missed calls like from my sister. And I remember in that moment, I thought, oh, fuck. Because me and my sister, we're cool, but we're not super, super close. But we've got, we've got a closeness, but mm-hmm. we don't live near each other. Like she lives quite far away from me. And, you know, she's got like quite a separate life. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she's got, she's a mum with like two kids. And like, you know, she, they, they take up all her time. I'm, you know, se- selfish, no kids. <laughs> I've got a very selfish way of life compared to her, mm-hmm. you know. And so our schedules can never quite, you know, meet. Mm. And I saw all these missed calls from her. And in that moment, I knew, I was like, I bet my dad's died. I fucking knew it. I'm not even joking. Wow. I knew in that moment. Yeah. Because she doesn't call me that often. Mm. Like, we're just like that. I think I had six or seven missed calls. And I and I remember thinking, I need to answer the phone, but I don't, uh, but also I really don't want to because I know what's on the other end of it. Yeah. Because I think I was standing by my friend Zainab yeah, I think Alice was one side and Zainab was the other. That was it. And I saw the phone ringing again. And I was just like, hello. And my sister just wailed. And I was like, oh. And she literally, yeah, she like, like it was, she was like a, it was just, it was, it was so visceral, so guttural, her mm. sort of cry. And, and if I remember correctly, I think I was just, I said, I think I said, Susan, I was just like, what, what? I think I, I just had to hear her say it. Mm. 
I think just to sort of like validate what I what I knew, mm. but I just I had to hear her say it, and and I can't remember exactly how she did, but she just said, "Yeah, Dad's died," and was like sobbing and wailing in between, and I screamed this platform down because it's yeah I think it's that thing when you that's the first time I've received news that bad that has made me react in the way that my sister did you know I've had shit things happen you know whether it's you know work disappointments or 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 failed failed romantic situations that I've Mm. cried over or you know silly physical things like stubbing your your fucking toe under the bed and and like having tears in your eyes (laughs) from, from crying at that but I have never felt so much instant pain and an instant physical reaction through what I've through what's come out of my mouth Mm. as I have that day I yeah I just yeah it was sort of like what is it when um you were seeing that those old like 50s and 60s movies when a submarine is under the water and it lets out a sort of you know the oh do you know what I mean? I don't. Uh, oh, what the bit when it um then when the floats. circles when the, uh, maybe it's oh, oh damn. Well, that was a bad description. <laughs> <laughs> it's that thing of like when I'm thinking of when, a when there's a sound being picked oh. up in water and it and and like I guess from the nucleus of the sound the sound waves travel out and out and out and out and yeah. everything around it feels Goes, it. Yeah. Vibrates. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, sort of the ripple effect. Yeah. That's the what I'm fucking looking for. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I could I could feel everyone on the train platform like hear me because mm. I just wailed. My friends just all came back with me. They we they like physically had to sort of. I was walking really fast, but they kind of held both my arms and just sort of hurriedly walked me back to the apartment. And they and my amazing amazing friend Josie, who's one of the best DJs you'll ever hear, by the way, Josie Rebel. You've probably heard her do Radio One's Essential Mix. Yeah, I'm putting plugs in because she's, but it's, it's context because she's a fantastic, fantastic friend. Um, if you ever, yeah, if you're ever out and about, go and check out Josie Rebel DJ. But um, Josie, she booked my Eurostar ticket, no questions asked, you know, just like paid for it, sorted. Got well, they, no, they all got together and did it. I've still got the Eurostar ticket that they, that they bought me. Really? No, I kept it. Yeah. because I'm quite a sentimental person anyway, but I think... I think as a rem- as a reminder of I suppose what what humanity is supposed to be like, mm-hmm. and just as a, a memento of that day, but it's, it's still in my kitchen that Eurostar ticket. Um, but yeah, they all they all got together, got me a ticket, and Josie got the Eurostar with me all the way back to London. She wouldn't let me get it by myself. No. She got she got the Eurostar back with me all the way back to London. I met my brothers at the platform, and then she went back to and she went back to Paris. Because yeah. that's the, you know, those are the, the, the lovely kind of friends that I have. And I think, I think those moments in death, as cliche is, as it is, you really do see who your, who your real friends are. Mm-hmm. And it's quite bittersweet that I think, I think in, yeah, I think in, in celebrations of, you know, love and life, like marriage, mm. and in celebrations of love and life, like death and funerals, is when you, you really see the sort of purest form of people mm-hmm. when it comes to good things about about human beings you just it's it's really humbling actually and, and quite restorative in the sense that it just makes you remember that not all human beings oh shit mm. <laughs> yeah someone else has said this on the podcast that people they might have made prejudgments about 
weren't those people. Yeah. And they were actually, there was a real massive heart underneath this exterior mm. that when actually, you know, push came to shove or shit happened, then they showed their true humanity. Yeah, humanity. You, re- yeah you really do see who shows up, I think, when you, when you lose someone close to you. So do you remember... So the next few days, obviously, must have been just... Yeah. What was that like, you know, oh, with your family? Yeah, that was... In, that was that was just painful and, and difficult because, yeah, I think I told my brother Andy and I believe I told my brother Chris. I think Chris and Andy told my mum, I believe. Again, it's all a bit of a blur. So but your I, sister was the first person to know? She definitely knew before my mum because I think one of my aunts had told her directly from Ghana yeah why was your dad in Ghana he was just chilling right because he he had essentially retired yeah and the UK's fucking cold yeah <laughs> true yeah and, 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 and he's had any he, you know he was like building a house out there Amazing. and just I just wanted to just hang out mm. and were your parents are they, were they still together yeah still together yeah. still together um but it's it's quite common in in our in our in our culture especially for Ghanaians who are based in the UK for your, your parents just kind of like go and spend two, three months there at a time. Because also my uncle had a business out there, which um, right. which my dad, you know, dipped in and dipped out of. Mm-hmm. So he was just over there, just sort of chilling out a bit, taking in some sun, sorting out family affairs, and just yeah, just being. Yeah. And ironically, he died at somebody else's um, on the at somebody else's wake. He had a heart attack. Wow. And he died on the way to the hospital. Why do you think he had a heart attack? If he was fit and healthy yeah he was uh, this is the thing after his stroke he had to be really healthy he stopped drinking completely because mm. again he used to love a, a can or two of lager um at the end of a day he'd like sit down my dad's ritual i remember like growing up he'd always bring us a chocolate after work that was his thing he, any particular chocolate i remember he, he, he yeah twix was always popular oh, i love a twix or some kind, like a galaxy. A galaxy, I was about to say. Yeah, he, he'd always bring us... A dime? Did he ever do a dime? God, I love dimes. He'd, no, it's always the old school ones, but he was really... He, do you know what? That I think that's one of my best childhood memories, actually. And my dad always bringing us a chocolate after work. Oh. He always would. Yeah. And like, he, stopped, he stopped at a particular point. He's just like, yeah. I can't be doing this now. You're not like 18. Like, can we also, not? once he probably started doing that, he dug his own hole because yeah. he had to keep well, yeah. bringing back the chocolate. Exactly. <laughs> but, but yeah, me and, me and my younger brother, Chris, like we, 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 we felt the benefits of the, of the chocolate um, <laughs> gifting post-work, I think the best. But yeah, why do I think he died of a heart attack? He, yeah, because he, he was healthy. Um, but, you know, post-stroke, he was on a few bits of medication. But, you know, actually, I can't truthfully say I know physically, like, what added to it. He, mm. he just had a heart attack. Yeah. What do you think your dad instilled in you as a human being and as a woman growing up? I think my dad instilled in me a sense of integrity. And I say this a lot wherever I've spoken about him, Mm. just because that's how he carried himself. Nobody who met my dad could ever say, oh God, he's so embarrassing or, or he's a bit, you know, annoying. Or, well, maybe some people could, but they were haters. But, um, (laughs) uh, or he didn't carry himself Mm. in a undignified way. He just had a very calm confidence mm. 
about himself. I think because he he knew his shit, he knew what he was about, and he was very. My dad was a really hard worker, mm. and he must have given that to you. Yeah, he, he did. But do you know what? Even now, don't get me wrong. I do my bits, but when it comes to work ethic and dedication, and I don't think this is me downplaying myself, but I I wish I was half as dedicated as my dad in the sense of he Joe, he had an exceptional sense of discipline. That's what it was. Right. Great sense of self discipline. Mm-hmm. You know. Because my dad like did a master's and, and all of that kind of stuff. Our house, it's still full of like hundreds of like medical journals Amazing. and books and magazines, like, you know, Parasitology Today and like <laughs> Microbiologist <laughs> Weekly or whatever the flip he oh my used God, to he read. so interesting. Oh, he's so, he, was so, he was so clever. Like, you know, it, I grew up in a house where as well as all the sort of like kiddie, like my first encyclopedias, I like, you know, those kind of books that like you buy for kids in their formative years. Yeah. I could easily go into our living room and there'd be a book, book on like tropical diseases. And I could <laughs> open it up and look at like- Unusual inc- mosquitoes. Yeah. And just, you know, seeing people and like the effects of them after they've been bitten by a certain thing and, be, and, th- and being like, oh my God, like, because that's just, that's what we knew. Yeah. You know, and I spent many afternoons hanging out with him in his lab. There was a particular summer, he worked in quite a few hospitals, but he worked in Queen Mary's in Roehampton for ages. And you'd see, we'd go and hang out with him in the lab and just see all the sort of like the blood fridge mm. and you'd see all like God. the microscopes, like the Petri mm. dishes, like all of that. Um, but yeah, he was just very, he was just very dignified and he had a lot of integrity. I think that's what I got from him. Like he, he had a, do you know, my dad had a bit of a Mufasa vibe. Did he? I mean, speaking oh God, of famous dead dads, I mean, Mufasa <laughs> is the, is obviously the icon, but in the sense of everywhere he went, everyone just respected him and just treated him yeah. in a very particular way. He had an aura. Where, yeah. He, he, I, do you know what? He really actually, he really did. Mm. And I don't know if that's just, you know, my blind, like sort of daddy worship, but if we go to, cause I remember every year his work, I have a Christmas party where um, all like the doctors and the nurses for hospital could bring their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it was the, yeah, the microbiology department would have a Christmas party and, and all the kids would like go and like, hang out with all the other like medical kids. <laughs> yeah. And all his colleagues fancied him without a doubt. Oh, really? Hi, Manny. <laughs> uh, and What's I remember his name? Maddie. Manny. He Manny. was called Emmanuel, but everyone called him Manny. And you, and, you know, I remember, and I remember like if any of them wanted to dance with me, if he, and if he'd like, because my dad was a bit of a flirt TBF. Looking back now, he definitely was a bit <laughs> of a flirt. And if I'd see him dancing with like some next woman, I'd cut in, I'd be like, no. And I'd, <laughs> and I'd dance and I'd just. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I'll go and get a in house a bit, Pete. <laughs> but um, yeah, oh God, this is so embarrassing. No, it's not. Oh gosh. Uh, but yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <laughs> Daddy issues will affect. People, yeah, people do really respect him. He was just that guy. So I think we've, I think all of us are sort of like, all my siblings, I think we've all tried to emulate that with him. Some of us better than others. <laughs> <laughs> They showed, showed. Um, and I think what that taught me as a woman was to have that same level of integrity for myself. And, and I think, you know, the relationship between fathers and daughters is so complex because it affects so many things. And, mm-hmm. you know, speaking heteronormatively, I think that's the right word. Yeah. Your relationship with your dad definitely can affect the men you date. Oh, yeah. And I, I, and I wanted I, to get to that. Well, I yeah. didn't think it, I always was a bit, suspect about that theory because i've been romantically involved with some right <laughs> my dating life over the past 
especially the past three years in particular, I've met some absolute okay. dickheads. Right. So yeah. that to me is really significant mm. because you lost your dad four years ago, right? You know what? <laughs> wow, this is really some therapy, isn't it? Right? Yeah. Yeah, because I used to be a little bit like, well, I just I think I I quite ignorantly thought that if if somebody's dad was an arsehole, that was the easiest way to explain why they date arseholes, which, you know, in theory, makes sense. But my dad wasn't an arsehole mm-hmm. at all. He was, and don't get me wrong, he wasn't perfect, but he he wasn't a bad man. Mm-hmm. You know, he treated my mum very well. Yeah, of course they argued like every, like every other parent, but he was respectful of her and... And, and and treated her well, but I think, I yeah, I've I have wondered if losing him has affected my dating life because I remember at the time of him passing, I went into a sort of um, almost uh, like robot mode of functionality when he died, just to kind of keep myself busy and occupied. I was very aware that he died, but I kind of switched on this button because I knew if I stayed still for too long, the grief would consume and I just wouldn't, I maybe wouldn't get anything done. Because he had died on a, I think it was a Sunday. I was back to work on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And and I remember, um, like my bosses said to me, Clara, you don't have to come back in. My agent was like, don't go back to work like they're saying take time off and I was like no no I'll be fine because I just went into sort of like work mode. Like I just gotta I got keep I've just got to keep my routine I've got to keep things moving because I think it's just a it was a distraction and I just thought well what am I literally gonna do or sit around and cry mm. and and really accept this and just it just it almost seemed to me like a, a weird waste of time to take time loads of time off even though I knew I probably should be I just I just didn't want to Mm. and I think you know what working has been the gift and the curse for my grief process in the sense that it was the best thing for me because it acted as a a great distraction and I could just not think about the fact that I just lost, you know, one of one of the most important people in my life. But then I think at the same time, working so much and chucking myself into work so much, m- suppressed things further. Cause I remember I, yeah, I start my show. My show starts at 10 a.m. in the morning. Cause you just landed the chart show, right? Yeah, so around that time, I was, yeah, I was doing the chart. I'd just been started doing the chart show. Which was like a massive step. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and oh God, I need to remember my dates. I'm sure it will come back to me, but put it this way. When it comes to like kind of timescale, I know we're jumping up and jumping around all over the shop. I had buried my dad on May the 2nd. Mm-hmm. My birthday is May 22nd. And I did my very first Radio 1 show of the current show that I've been doing now for five years on May the 22nd ninth so that period between may from march when he died to to may was just an absolute it was it was actually it was a bit of a blur looking back now just clara what the fuck were you doing yeah that's the word i was looking for autopilot yeah that's it the wonderful thing 
about me and my dad's relationship is that we had a really great, almost like intuitive link with each other mm. in the sense of my dad wasn't one of those people to tell me every day, oh my God, I love you so much. You're my precious baby girl. <laughs> and, and, and I remember I, ha- I used to have a little bit of a, a bit of a problem with that actually. I remember going for a phase been a bit like, why aren't you like all the other parents? Mm. In the sense of, you know. John, my mum's very, very tactile. I will always give you a hug if you want one and we'll always come to you and be like, oh, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, give you a kiss. And like, she's like, she's, she's got that kind of vibe about her. Um, and my dad wasn't that kind of guy. Like if I went to go and hug my dad, he would never push me away. He'd always give me the, the best embrace back. Mm. And I knew deeply that my dad really loved me. I, I knew that. And he'd always show it every year, actually, of my birthday. He'd almost always get me a big card and write, like, really beautiful messages in them that would make me, like, clutch my chest, like, oh, I had no idea you felt yeah. this way. It was his way of being able to tell you yeah. because he found maybe the other way is more difficult. Exactly. Which is also of his generation. Exactly. Mm. Of his generation and, and, and of his culture, really, as well. I think my, my parents are quite traditional, got... Ghanaian parents in in that sense you know so I remember one time he wrote me the most loveliest card oh god I'm gonna start bloody crying again aren't I <laughs> oh lord have mercy listen I ain't cry like this in front of my damn therapist Jesus Christ <laughs> um what did he say he sent me he wrote me this really lovely card and he said Clara you are the glue of our family and I remember being I was I was genuinely taken aback by that yeah oh it I was such a tingles it was such a lovely thing to say and quite, yeah, quite possibly the most, the most, yeah, possibly the nicest thing someone's actually ever said to me, you know. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that was his, uh, that was his way of expressing love. And I think, yeah, going back to your question about my, about my, uh, my dating choices. <laughs> I think that there's, there's so many factors that make you choose the people that you want to pursue a romantic situation with. And I think, oh, yeah, let me really think about this. Hmm. All the people that I've been involved with, I think since his passing, I wonder if he had anything in common with them. Hmm. I'm really trying to work this out, you know. Mm. <laughs> Damn, you should. Uh, you should. I should feel like I should be paying you, like. Or, <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Do you think that they were quite different to your dad? Maybe. None of them had his integrity. That's for sure. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> um, Joe, I mean, I'll never forget. Actually, the the one guy that I brought home when I was a teenager. It was a really, it was a really sweet guy. He was like, it's actually my very first like sort of like proper like boyfriend. And my dad, <laughs> he he kind of gave him like the talk. And I remember I was dying at the time. And surprise, surprise, we broke up a few weeks later after that. So I think he was a bit like, oh shit. Yeah. Uh, and my dad sort of gave him not the sort of like, if you hurt her, I'm gonna kill you talk. But I remember him just saying like. I know my daughter stays at your house and I don't like it. <laughs> the guy was like, okay, okay. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. 
I think no man likes to know that some bloke in their house is like shagging their daughter. Basically. Oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> Do you know what? Okay, go. <laughs> yeah, that didn't last. I mean, it was that was literal, <laughs> literally years ago. But yeah, maybe there's a level of when your dad was around, you felt a wholeness. There's mm. now a hole somewhere, mm, mm, mm. and that hole means that there's there's a deeper vulnerability, and that vulnerability is coming into the people that you're attracting. Oh yeah, I mean, I remember uh, at the time of him passing away, and looking back now, it definitely was a distraction. I started talking to this guy who I'd been kind of friendly with, and we go out on like we go out on like dates and stuff but I remember being really on it happening Mm. um and because actually I remember being in my house my childhood home two to three days after my dad passed and I guess still almost being in a sense of denial and just sort of not wanting to engage with the family because obviously the family's all downstairs talking about stuff and being really really social I just I just everyone was kind of getting on my nerves I just felt a bit yeah, I think the overwhelmed. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. And the reality of the situation was was doing a number on me. So I just sort of wanted to be separate from it. And, I'm, and I actually, I distinctly remember being on the stairs and messaging this guy as just as, a, as something to, I think something to do and something to make me feel, I guess, I don't know, connect, I don't know. I just, I just did it. But can I interrupt and say, yes. I've been there. Yeah. And I think that's a just absolute seeking of male love, which you've lost. And I've done it where, for example, a court case recently came back up about the car accident that we had in Sri Lanka that killed my dad. And what I did is I literally messaged two of my ex-boyfriends, one quite recent one, and I didn't want to do anything. I just wanted to have a hug from one of them and that was like literally my daddy issues coming out because it was like it reminded me of a time where the most precious man in my life was taken away from me and what I then lost was this undying male love undying male love is that what I mean yeah well no because I think what's the word when you're unconditional male love yeah 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 well that's the thing and I think for me I remember at the time sort of because you know I I I begrudgingly accepted about about five years ago that I'm a hopeless romantic I didn't think that I was yeah I thought I was low-key quite cynical but I don't know if it's a Gemini thing or whatever but um (laughs) but I I love romance I love love I love my friends who are in love I, I love going to a good wedding um and and I think I remember being on the on the stairs texting this guy because he was he was away for work at the time. He was he was in America, and uh, I think he was at some music festival, or some shit. And we were like texting each other, and I remember just enjoying the little endorphin rush from that because I think I can't say it was completely about that male connection, but mm-hmm. I think it was just about having something separate in my life outside of grief mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and outside of work. It was like okay. A workloads, that's my work life. In my personal life, somebody who I love more than life itself has just died. What's separate from both of those things that can just be something for me, talking to this guy that 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 I fancy. Mm. But yeah, I think in the context of who my dad was, compared to the men I have dated and behavior that I've accepted, 
yeah, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't something to it. Because you know what, my dad, he was emotionally available, but not in the way that I've been conditioned to accept it. Mm-hmm. And I mean that culturally, because at least with my parents' generation and my parents specifically, specifically, um, you know, my mum and dad don't have like a wild love story. It wasn't like, hey, he was like in a bar in Ghana in like yeah. this, the late 60s, like early 70s dancing and he saw this woman. He was like, oh yeah, me and you, <laughs> let's get together. Like they, they just know each other since they were like, I think since they were like kids or like early teens. And they just, they kind of just got together. Oh. They're from the same village in Ghana. They didn't get together in, in their teens. They got together in their, in their late 20s, early 30s, I believe. And I think being brought up in you know in western society and being brought up on you know brilliant like uk and american drama and and you know and sort of those hollywood expectations Mm. of of a great love and of romance or whatever and and how love should be expressed are very different to the Ghanaian sensibility Mm -hmm. so navigating that just you know as a teen and a young adult and as an alleged grown up now, and then applying that to, you know, who I date and how I dealt with who I've dated post my dad's death has been an interesting journey, actually. Mm-hmm. Has and it been conscious? This is, this is, this is, I think, the thing that I, I guess I'm working out in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, because I mean, I, I always ask myself, actually, that with every, with every person, that I've fancied or have been involved with, I have always thought, like, I wonder if my dad would have liked you. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> he, do you know what? He would have, he, no, no. He, <laughs> no, he, he would have, he would have liked, he would have liked one of them, I think. The thing about my dad though is that, again, and I think especially us who were daddy's girls, I definitely was a daddy's girl, is that we deify our parents, don't we? Mm-hmm. And you think of them as almost perfect. But, and I think the great thing about getting older is that you just realise that your parents are just people too. And I'm sure my dad was, was no angel before he met my mum. Hence why I got a half-sister. No, but um, <laughs> what, what point am I trying to make? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure my dad broke, may have broke a few hearts this time. He might mm. have done. Mm. He, was, he was a good-looking guy when he was younger. Mm. And so I think he probably would have sniffed out a few of the waste men that I've, that I've entertained over the years. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I'm trying to be really mature here. But yeah, I definitely think there was a time that I think when the sadness had got to me and I definitely was seeking out that 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 kind of male presence that wasn't my brothers or wasn't my male friends mm-hmm. and I remember I was seeing this guy that I used to go to college with and we were seeing each other on and off for about oh let me say about a year and a bit and he had a whole bunch of issues and we've spoken about it since so i'm not out of not putting him on blast by having this conversation with you but he didn't treat me nicely at all didn't treat me very well but i accepted it because i think it was about we rekindled things maybe a month or two after my after i buried my dad it was definitely within the same year of me burying my dad 
we had rekindled things. And I just, I remember just feeling that sort of, um, I guess that sort of need. Yeah. Just to just to feel something because I think I'd 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 been you know as expected because I, I don't mean I don't know anybody who's lost a parent who hasn't had some form of like depression and just a deep deep sadness but yeah the twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen early twenty seventeen was a really bleak time for me really bleak um, and even though seeing this guy didn't make me feel very good about myself. Um, even though it it wasn't the most healthy situation for me to be in, I just entertained it because I think I'd almost lost a lot of feeling. Mm. I've, I'd become numb from grief because mm. I'd gone so autopilot with work and just going being so gung ho with that, and because I hadn't sought therapy at that point, mm. I sort of yeah I I. I allowed myself to get into a romantic situation, which definitely wasn't good for me, just because I wanted to. I just wanted to feel something, mm. yeah. even even if they did treat me like shit. And when you're not feeling great, and then you entertain somebody that that adds to that, and that's not to to put on blame. Because I, I I think one thing I definitely learned is about accountability. Like, don't get me wrong, there are people who are going to treat you like shit in dating situations because they are quite shit people yeah <laughs> but then also hurt people hurt people yeah you know i'm getting i'm kind of all the but the buzz phrases today but i you know there's people that have, that have treated me badly in my dating life and when i and you know retrospective 2020 isn't it when i look back i'm just like i can completely see why you treated me yeah that way yeah and i take accountability for my part you were a shit bag yeah but i see i can completely see why do, do you know what I mean? Completely. It's yeah. actually, it's really liberating, mm. I think, having that. Because I, I remember thinking for the past few relationships that I'd had over the years that I think my daddy issues came to light in yeah. my like, mid-twenties. Mm. And I'm now 28, but like definitely in my early-ish to mid-twenties, I had some shit relationships. And I remember thinking, I'm, you know, why are they treating me this bad? Thinking quite victim. And yeah. I started therapy. And mm. I didn't even speak about my relationships until recently, but I kind of just worked out it's not just on them. Like, it was fully on me as well. And you, once you take, I think, accountability and responsibility for that, because if you're in a, a bad place, you often attract someone else who's also in a bad place. Oh, I've definitely learned that. Yeah, yeah. 100%. And I think, yeah, I'd say the last situations that I've been in, you know, over the, yeah, let me think about this really. <laughs> Again, not trying to put anybody on blast. Just, I'm just speaking my <laughs> truth, man. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure they won't be listening and that's no shade. <laughs> well, the thing is, you just, you never know. But I, I don't think they will be. You I mean, but you, you just never know, but whatever. I'm, I'm going to speak my truth, man. Yeah, exactly. um, but I think, yeah, there were, I've had two significant situations where there was somebody that I was seeing on and off for about a year. And there was somebody that I saw briefly and they both didn't treat me very nicely at all. <laughs> like the kind of shit that you'd like, yeah, just not, just not, yeah. just not very, not very nice in. No, yeah, you know. Oh God, I'm, I'm rambling because I'm just a bit like, how can I say this carefully? <laughs> without, without them knowing. Without, <laughs> yeah. Putting anyone in, yeah. Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm trying to be, res yeah, yeah see, the tangled words we weave. But with both the situations, even though they were 
narcissists and just oh, the very gosh, nice. Yeah. Um, I definitely had to snap out of the, oh my God, why why do these men keep treating me so badly? Yeah. And I'm not to take away from the fact that they did, because they absolutely did. But you have to understand why you accept said behaviour. Completely. And that's the power. That and is the power. That is the power. Like, and that is why, the growth. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, why do I accept this? Let's let's retrace our steps through life mm. and understand where you learn it was okay to allow somebody to treat you like this. And I'm still half and half about the, the law of attraction and and people picking up on vibes, but I am seeing the truth because I think you know what. When you aren't feeling 100%, I, you know, I can definitely speak for myself when I say this, I think when you don't realise your full power, mm. whether that is spiritually or even materialistically, just what mm-hmm. you offer mm-hmm. to the world. And I think in a romantic setting, in a sort of, in the sort of dating world, whatever, the wrong person will exploit you not knowing yourself and will exploit you not understanding your power properly in a callous way because it's a way to make themselves feel good. Mm. And, and do you know what I've really learned as well? A lot of the time, they don't even realise they're doing it. It's almost a primal thing of, I'm going to manipulate your vulnerability for my own gain mm. to, to control the situation. And I've definitely experienced that in my dating life over the past, particularly over the past three years. And, and and I think on some level, I have definitely, yeah, I think I've subconsciously let it be known that I have that vulnerability when it comes to intimacy mm-hmm. because of the loss of my father. And I and I think, and I think that the people that I've thought, oh, okay, he could be, he could, he could be a good, he could be a good one. I think they've picked up on that. Yeah. And have definitely taken it, taken it, yeah. For you know, in that kind of that that narcissistic and selfish way for their own gain, and been mm. like, okay, got what I needed, peace. Yeah, like see you later. <laughs> no, no, and that's just, that. And I, and I, do you know what the good thing is? I've got, I've no shame in admitting that I've been done dirty by yeah. by men that I've dated because there is no shame in it. No, th- there is no shame. A, I think a because I didn't do anything wrong and. Yeah, retrospect is twenty twenty. Like, there's this one guy that this one guy who, who was a proper shitbag to me. I probably bump into him at least at the very very least once every two to three months. At one point, I swear to God, it was like <laughs> once every fortnight. We're walking <laughs> through my local area, like, and I'd be like, oh fuck, and just see him, and I just and I'd literally feel like a cat being like. <laughs> Yeah, she's a twat. But sorry, now I'm being I'm being immature now. Let me not. Let me let me hold, let me say close to Jesus. Um, yeah, he didn't treat me very well, and I never confronted him about how he treated me because I remember thinking I'm going to be an adult and just. Mm, was, I know what that feels like. Yeah, the situation was quite messy. I remember thinking like, for me to say something would open a whole other kind of worms and hurt another person. Mm. What's the point? But I think. I've lost my train of thought and I think I've lost my point. But um, I think what I'm basically trying to say is learning about myself through grief and the energy that I've given off has helped me to understand why I've attracted certain people to my life, whether that's friends or in a romantic situation. And it's made me find peace, Mm. I think. 
Yeah. Right, well, we've actually run out of time. I know, I know, sorry. So, two more very, well. Yeah, I will answer briefly because I'm trying to think of anything that I've missed out. First thing that I want to ask. Yeah. Because you've spoken about grief mm. and the process of grieving with Running With Grief, your documentary. Which, yes, I made a radio documentary about yeah, it. Yeah, but you can't find it so annoying. BBC needs to put it back up. Yes, do you know what? I'm, I'm on the case for yeah, that. Yeah, good. And if, if not, I think I might just upload it my damn Can self you? Because um, I, to one of my channels. Yeah, Yeah. because I think I only listened to the preview and it was incredible. And I was like, this needs to be out there yeah. for people to be able to listen to. And you know what? Since we put it out, I, do you know, at least... Yeah, a good few times a month, actually, I'll get somebody DMing me saying, I can't find it, and I just lost my parent, and I really want to hear it. And you went back and did a half marathon that you never yep. got to complete because of your... I sure did, yeah. because of my dad. I remember I, I wrote his name, I wrote Manny, across my race bib, and I went back and I completed it in 2016, oh. and like all my friends ran with me, and that I must was like, so it. oh my God. Emotional. I, do you know what? <laughs> I was... I was sobbing at the yeah. end of that race and lovely my lovely friend Heather who Aww. produced the, the documentary she was waiting at the finish line for me and it was the most cathartic thing I bet it was, it was fantastic and at the risk of sounding really corny like my dad was with me like I felt it of course he was and yeah, yeah. And, and it was and it was great so I know I just went off on a relationship tangent I mean, no 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 love that yeah. no love that yeah. but please put that up because like yes I, I will that is so yeah I'm gonna, I need to put it on my to-do list properly yeah Mm. So because of that, I want to ask, because I feel like you found a language for grief, especially so soon after your dad's death. I know this is really, really hard to probably find, and I haven't thought about this myself, so it's a bit of a selfish question. Three words to describe grief. Three words to describe grief are liberating, mm. scary, and redefining, actually. Death does redefine who you are. Completely. For the good and for the bad. Mm -hmm. It's liberating because I think, you know, it's the last taboo of life. Well, I don't know if I can call it a taboo, but it's the only guaranteed thing mm -hmm. in life. And that is liberating. Yeah. And it's liberating to know that you can survive grief, actually. Mm. I remember thinking, the day my dad dies, I will not be able to cope. How can I live if he's not here? Mm. That was always my thought, but I'm still here. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I have some days when it hits me, like, you know, so I know I'm going for another tangent, but I know we've got to wrap it up, but I've got to start my show at 10 a.m. and... I've got to be in the office for nine and you know, some people may say timekeeping is not my best <laughs> is not my best uh, my asset. best asset. But when the when the grief got so bad, when I kind of started to let it get to me, or when it just actually no, when I had no choice of it getting to me, yeah. there was one point I was still in my bed, bearing in mind Radio One offices in West London, I live in East London, I was in my bed at maybe 9.30, half an hour before I had to be on air. I honestly felt like I had an anvil on my chest. Yeah. And I couldn't get up and I was just sobbing in bed. Yeah. And I rang my producer, Julie, at the time and I said, I'm still coming in, but I might be a little bit late. And I think Grimmy was still doing the breakfast show at that point. So he was very sweet. He probably doesn't remember this. We had to start mm. my show for me, pressing play on the first two songs wow. as I made my way in because I just, I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. It, 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 I think that's when it, I, that's, and I think two weeks to a month after that incident when I, I had to start going back to therapy again. Wow. I had to go. But always full disclosure about, you know, what I have access to I'm financially independent I can afford to go and see a face-to-face -face therapist you know who charges an above NHS rate a mm. private therapist and the access 
that people have to free therapy. Oh yeah, well, look, I can't even talk about. I can't even talk about. But I'm just gonna say, you know, yeah. our, the resources are strained. But I would say, and I know this isn't a spawn or an ad. Do you know what? They should they should sponsor your show, Talk Space. Yeah. Are you listening? Sponsor this program because yes. honestly, now I'm being deadly serious. No pun intended. Um, sponsor this show because access to affordable therapy, I think, is a human right. Actually, completely. And to be able to speak to somebody for a reduced rate an hour mm. or, for, or for free, so big up the Samaritans, a licensed medical professional, because that's, that's what you are when you're a, a yeah. psychotherapist. It's, it is a privilege that I use. It's complete, yeah. And it shouldn't be a privilege. It shouldn't, and it shouldn't be a privilege. And yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, last question. Yes, son. I wish we had like four yeah. hours. If your dad was listening to this <laughs> podcast... <laughs> I asked this on her. I didn't know if you'd seen, listened to any of the other things. I know, I forgot that you asked this, yes. <laughs> if your dad was listening to this podcast right now, what would you want to say to him? Okay, I'm going to really try not to cry. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, God. Oh, God. Wow. So I haven't cried over my dad in quite a while, actually. Right, okay. If, I was list- if my dad was listening to this podcast, I would say, hello. I miss you a lot. Is this as if he was still alive or as if he could magically hear from whatever plane he's on? If he can magic, or whichever, but okay. probably if he can magically hear. All right. Um, if my dad was listening to this podcast, if he is listening, I would say, hello. I know you're about somehow. I know you see everything. I'm all right. I'm going to make better decisions. <laughs> And yeah, I'm 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 feeling you. That's what I would say. Oh, thank you so much, oh, Clara Ampho. You've been an absolute joy. I need a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to my episode with the insanely amazing, wonderful, fucking fabulous, Clara Ampho. This was the season finale of Daddy Issues Podcast 2019. Wow! So exciting. Can't believe it. New Year is dawning. Thank you so much, Clara, for coming on to the podcast. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. Daddy Issues podcast is coming back in January with a bang, so stay tuned and happy Christmas. If you like Daddy Issues podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify as it helps other people find us and get Daddy Issues to as many eyes and ears as possible. You can find the links to these on www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Wargy Productions, who is the master of both sound and music. Ben and Aaron at Interface, who have made my website and do all the graphic design. And thank you guys for listening. I love hearing your thoughts, so don't hesitate to get in touch. If there's anything at all that's affected or resonated with you and you'd like to get some support or follow up on anything that's been said, previous guest and psychotherapist Julia Samuel has an incredible website, www.griefworks.co.uk. Once again, thank you so much and I hope you enjoyed the episode.